Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. I'm Alan Hollinghurst, and I'm going to read an extract from my novel, The Stranger's Child. The date is September 1913. The scene, a house in the northernmost suburbs of London, called Two Acres. It's the home of the Saul family, and George Saul, the middle son, who's a student at Cambridge, uh, has brought his glamorous aristocratic poet friend Cecil Valance to stay for the weekend. Uh, Cecil makes a great impression on the Saul family. Um, Hubert, the elder brother, um, is perhaps less impressed by him. But Daphne, George's 16-year-old sister, is very struck with him. Uh, She's very innocent of anything to do with love or sex, but um, she finds herself confronted with a real sexy grown-up man for the first time. Uh, Cecil's family home is called Corley Court, Um, It's been the subject of a lot of his own poems. The previous evening he'd read to the guests after dinner from Tennyson's great elegy In Memoriam, which is the poem which furnishes the title of this novel, The Stranger's Child. What none of the other characters know but the reader does is that George and Cecil are having a passionate affair, and in the afternoon we follow them into the woods where they've been making love to each other and they're anxious that they might have been seen by young Daphne, who'd gone out for a walk, gone to look for them, really. And in this scene, Cecil will um, try to establish whether, indeed, Daphne had seen them. It's after supper on the Sunday evening. When supper was over, George was sent round to the Cosgroves on some mission he clearly thought beneath him, Hubert claimed he had letters to write, and their mother, trailing into the drawing-room, paused, raised a finger, and went out again. Cecil and Daphne were left for a minute on the hearth-rug. Daphne saw this as the threshold to the grown-up end of the evening, with social requirements she wasn't quite sure of. "'I don't suppose you want to hear the gramophone,' she said. She had a sense of opportunity." made more incoherent by her new fear of boring Cecil. "'Not specially,' he said, casually but kindly, with a smile she hadn't seen before, a candid gape that slightly startled her, and was probably a Cambridge thing. It was hard to work out, but at Cambridge it seemed it was almost a sign of respect to be disrespectful, to say just what you felt at any time. Cecil was fingering in his waistcoat pocket, then brought out his little clipper, he said, "'I wonder if Miss Saul would care to keep me company while I enjoy my cigar.' "'Oh, yes,' said Daphne. "'Oh, I'll get a coat.' And she ran to the cloakroom under the stairs. It was such an exciting idea that there were bound to be strenuous arguments against it. But that was part of Cecil's atmosphere and appeal. She came back, not with her own dull coat, but with one of George's old tweed jackets round her shoulders, she liked the air of improvisation. A man's jacket seemed to show she was up for a lark, 
and to carry some chivalrous hint of her need for protection. "'It's a little bit smelly,' she said. "'Well, I'm going to make a smell, too,' said Cecil. "'Well, quite.' "'I may be being too sensitive,' said Cecil, glancing towards the door. "'My mother's so down on smoke at Corley Court we all sneak off to the smoking-room. "'She's made it into quite a guilty pleasure.' "'No, no,' said Daphne. "'Cecil drew out a cigar-case from a surprising pocket. "'I've got two, if you're tempted to try,' he said, "'and uncapped the stiff leather sheath to show her the tops of them. "'They made her think of soldiers.' or the cartridges in Hubert's rifle. She knew she should call to her mother, but sighed just to think of the objections, and followed Cecil out into the garden, leaving the French window ajar. It was quite a bit colder than last night, though she was not going to mention it. She said, "'Cecil, I think I shall always associate in memoriam with you.' "'Well,' Cecil was fussing with a lighted match, and making impatient, appreciative noises as he drew on the cigar." Then the newly conjured smoke was all around them. "'Shall we sit here?' "'Let's walk on,' said Cecil, moving her along past the windows of the sitting-room. "'We'll see what the stars are up to, shall we?' "'All right,' said Daphne, and as he crooked his arm she reached up to slip her hand through it. As well as everything else, there was something entirely proper about Cecil. He perhaps wasn't even aware of her happy sense of play-acting, her toss of the head in the dark as she took his arm. Then George's jacket, merely slung round her shoulders, slipped off. "'Here, let me help you.' In the gloom on the edge of the lawn, Cecil held the coat and patted her shoulders when she'd got it on. "'I must look like a tramp,' she said, her hands covered by the sleeves, silky linings cold for a moment on bare arms, the weight and smell of the thing hugged round her. "'Do it up,' said Cecil, his cigar between his teeth and again his large hands seemed to take care of her, to be larger and more capable than ever. Then he offered his arm once more. They went on a few leisurely paces, Daphne happily self-conscious, Cecil a touch reserved, though she wasn't sure of his face, and perhaps he was merely working out the stars. She knew he'd had three or four glasses of wine, decisions would come easily to him, though to a sober person they might seem whimsical and delayed. She looked up above the silhouette of the treetops. "'I fear it's too cloudy tonight, Cecil,' she said. Cecil huffed out another cloud of rich, sour smoke, and cackled vaguely. "'Were you in the woods for long this afternoon?' he said. "'This afternoon? Oh, not really. You didn't get much of a walk. Well, when I met you, I came home, of course.' She felt him press her arm more tightly against his side, and the beautiful, grown-up presence of Cecil— his height and his muscular warmth under evening dress, and even his voice, which she'd once thought so cutting and grand, slightly turned her head. It must have been someone else we saw earlier on. I, I said to Georgie, isn't that daft? But by the time he looked, whoever it was had gone. Well, it could have been. Did you call? You know, I wasn't sure. Lots of people do walk there. Of course, said Cecil. Anyway, you didn't see us. Daphne felt again she was missing something, but was carried along by the excitement of making conversation, and squeezed his arm reassuringly. "'I would have said hello if I had. I thought you would. To be honest, it's George. He doesn't want me tagging along.' Cecil made a low, disparaging murmur, and they turned round. "'You can see a bit better now,' he said. "'There's the famous rockery.' "'I know,' 
she felt he was still rather mocking the rockery, and it emboldened her. Cecil, she said, when may I come to Corley? Mm, to Corley? It was as though he'd never heard of such a place, and certainly had no memory of his earlier invitation. Then he laughed. My dear girl, whenever you like. Oh, thank you. Whenever you like, he said again, expanding into his decision, in a tone which seemed oddly to undermine it. I suppose it won't be till the Christmas vac now, will it, probably? This seemed as good as never to Daphne. No, I suppose. Get Georgie to bring you over. They moved on towards the dark outline of the rockery, which at night might truly have been taken for a greater and more distant outcrop. Daphne said, huskily casual, I imagine I could come by myself. Would your mother allow that? I am quite grown up, you know, said Daphne. Cecil said nothing. He pressed forward with his usual confidence. She thought she should say, there's a step there. She half yelled it as he stumbled and lurched down hard on his right leg, caught himself, but pulled her with him, and then lurched again to save her and grip her. Oh, Christ, are you all right? I'm fine, wincing where he'd trodden heavily on the edge of her foot. Now I've lost my dratted cigar. They were face to face, her heart still lively from the shock, and he put his arms round her waist and pulled her against him, so that she had to turn her cheek to his cold lapel. He moved a hand up and down on her back, over the warm tweed of George's jacket. Blasted steps, he said. I'm all right, said Daphne. She rather dreaded looking at her shoe when they got in, but Cecil was at a disadvantage, and she knew at once that he could never be blamed for anything. She said quietly, I can't think how those steps got there. Cecil gave a sigh of a laugh across her hair. Oh, child, child, he said, with a softness and a sadness she had never heard before, even from her mother. What are we going to do? Daphne eased herself a fraction freer. She wanted to play her part, felt the privilege of Cecil's attention. It was awfully nice being held so tightly by him, but there was something in his tone that worried her. "'Well, I suppose you're going to have to pack.' "'Ha!' said Cecil, again with a strange, despairing note, like his poetry voice. "'I think... shall we go back in?' "'Yes, yes,' he said. "'Can you keep a secret, Dad?' "'As a rule,' said Daphne. "'Let's keep this a secret.' "'All right.' She wasn't sure if she understood. Falling over a step wasn't much of a secret, but Cecil was clearly embarrassed by it. His hands relaxed slightly and travelled down almost to her bottom as he smiled and murmured, "'You know, it's been splendid getting to know you.' "'Oh, well,' she said, somehow paralysed by his hands. "'That's what we're all saying about you. There's never been anything like it.' He bent his head and kissed her on the forehead, like sending her to bed, but then the tip of his nose moved down her cheek and he kissed her beside her mouth and his cigar breath and then, completely without expression, on her lips. There, he said. Cecil, don't be silly, she said. You've been drinking. And he tilted his face sideways and pushed his open mouth over hers and worked his tongue against her teeth in a quite idiotic and unpleasant way. She pushed herself half free of him. She was alarmed, but kept her composure, even laughed rather sarcastically. You don't mind if I kiss you, said Cecil dreamily. I don't call that kissing, Cecil, she said. Hmm, said Cecil. What would you call kissing, then, Daphne? His tone, dopey and mocking, 
slightly annoyed, tugging her back into his grasp like a dancer with a mere flourish of his suddenly inescapable strength. More something like this, and he started again, just darting his lips all over her face like a tormenting game, allowing her to dodge and turn her head a little, but holding her so tightly about the waist that she was quite hurt by the hard shape of the cigar-case in his trouser-pocket thrusting against her stomach. She found she was giggling in quick, shallow breaths, and before she could help it they turned into hot little sobs and then a hushed wail of childlike surrender and failure. Hello? It was George, back from the Cosgroves, coming to look for them, surely. Childish, timid relief, mixed almost at once with pride, but no, it was Hubert, in a funny voice, apologetic but actually rather cross. I say! Cecil loosened his grip, sighed acceptingly, with a little snigger he gave her, seemed to say he hadn't given up. He looked round, over the top of the bushes, to see who it was. Perhaps he too thought it was George, and again she felt the special subject of her own secret with Cecil. They both had to be careful. She'd been frightened by him, but she still had a sense that he would know what to do. "'We're over here,' she said, her voice clotted with crying. "'Are you all right?' "'I fell down the blasted step,' said Cecil. "'I seem to have trodden on your sister.' Hubert stood there in silhouette, conveying an indignant but undecided impression. "'Can you walk?' he said, very distinctly, as though speaking over the telephone. "'Of course I can walk. We're just coming in.' "'It's really a bit dark for rambling round,' Hubert said. "'That was the point,' said Cecil. "'We were studying the stars.' Hubert peered upwards doubtfully. "'It's a bit cloudier for that,' he said, and turned back to the house." To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.